Okay, I think we are live. So hello there, everyone. Good morning. Thank you for being here with us um, and tuning in today. If you didn't already know, um, it's Sam again with another video for you, another writing author video. I'm here with fellow author DP Lime Goober to talk about reading, writing, publishing, and more. Hello, DP, or I guess today I can call you Dustin. That works for me. Okay. Hi there. How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us. Um, Dustin is a fantasy author and has written The Saintess Chronicles, The Plague of Tradium, which is, I guess, book one in a planned series. But I'll let him tell you a little bit more about that in just a minute. I'm very grateful that, that Dustin has graciously agreed to be with us today and answer some of our questions. So, as always, I do have some questions prepared for him and I'll kind of guide this, this discussion. But for anyone watching in, listening at home, anyone in our live audience, um, let's make this interactive. If, you, if you're watching, if you're a fan, a reader, an aspiring author yourself or whatever, post your questions and comments in the chat about reading, writing, publishing, fantasy, fandom, or any of those topics because we want to hear from you too. So we will take it from there and have a good talk. So Dustin, for those at home who aren't familiar, can you give us a quick overview of your book slash the major thing you've written and just kind of the maybe five minute summary or, or, or whatever for um, so people can get interested? Well, I'll try to give a slightly shorter than five minute summary and then really hope for some questions from the comment section. I think the hardest part of writing a book is trying to summarize it. They ask you for something just to fit on the back of the book and you say, oh no, I've written hundreds and hundreds of pages and there's all these deep themes. How do I just get into a couple of paragraphs? Uh, but if I have to give the quickest elevator pitch, I would say, think of the Wingfeather saga meeting Harry Potter. You've got the, uh, the virtue-based, uh, adventure-based uh, shorter than five minutes summary and really hope and uh, the harry potter bit is really just the magical school setting and so when you get there you see that they're in a magical boarding school and so you might have all these images in your mind already of these great medieval castles and what it would look like on the inside but what you find out very quickly is that there's four siblings there and they have been dumped into this school and the action starts in meteor as they're right in the middle of class and you find out very quickly that though this is supposed to be a school that teaches the magic it really only keeps the traditions alive and when it comes to really learning magic the teachers would rather that the students don't learn it and so they're left on their own trying to navigate the school without their parents because as you continue in the book you find out that their parents have disappeared the state okay. says that they've died but they don't have any proof of it whatsoever and so now they're on their own from what their parents have taught them against these professors and as things continue on, and they aren't really allowed to learn magic, the eldest main character finds a mystical book. And as he's starting to read this book, odd things happen. So that is the uh, the very quick elevator pitch on okay. the Sanctus Chronicles. I like it already. Um, is it like more young adult geared? Sounds like it possibly. Well, that was one of the things that was difficult about categorizing it is I'd ask the same question. If you looked at the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the library, they would put that in the children's section. Right. But you could very easily read that to your entire family with all the kids involved or just read it as, as an adult. And so very surface level, it's middle grade, but it's got deeper themes that go all the way up through. You can appeal to both, hopefully. That's good. That's good. Uh, I was, I was going to ask you next, um, you mentioned the four siblings. I mean, that sounds like, sounds like Narnia for sure, uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I mean, so... Maybe you got Harry Potter, Wingfeather Saga, and Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe all together, kind of. Yep. That's where I took my world building idea, is that Lewis uh, looked at his understanding of God, and he said, if there was an alternate universe, 
and I were to put God into that universe, how would he behave in that universe and how would the people in it behave? And then he just let that story play out. And so yeah. I've got a similar idea of creating this alternate universe and saying, how would all these things interact? Stop provoking questions. No, I, I like that. And it's good. I mean, I mean, Lewis also has some quote, of, I, get, I, I won't get it exactly right here, but about how a children's story should not be just for children, but it should be, it should be appealing to adults as well and, and, and you know, have themes that adults can appreciate because you're kind of training those children to be adults one day. Exactly. And you've got to have real villains in there because the world has real villains and they need to understand that there's real evil out there and they need those bigger themes to be building up into who they're going to become. You're right. I like that you're already thinking about the thematic impacts of it. Um, on that note, kind of leads me to my next question. Um, your website, which I'll share with everyone later, it's, um, it, it, I think it's, yeah, it, it's, is it just dplimegruber.com? Yep. Yeah, okay. If you can yeah. spell Lime Gruber, it's easy to get to. <laughs> L-E-I-M, well, it's, it's there on the video now, L-E-I-M-G-R-U-B-E-R. We'll say it a few more times before we're done, but your yep. website includes a tagline, um, which is which I think is great. That's, and your, your tagline says, writing stories to build up your family in a crumbling world. Um, that caught my eye to begin with when I, when I first checked you out. Can you tell us a little more about that or about what your goal is with that? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, if you look at the, the world, it looks like we're about the same generation. I, uh, I consider myself the Oregon Trail generation, right there between Gen <laughs> X and Millennials. I'm 32, uh, I don't know if, if, if you want to. Okay, yeah, we're pretty close. Uh, you're yeah. just slightly more millennial than I am, but. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, um, but if you look at the world that we grew up in versus the world that our kids are growing up in, you can see everything just falling around and just the very questions of what is reality has started to become an issue. And so as our kids are looking at literature, it's building up who they are, what kind of questions they ask, what kind of virtues and vices they see. Mm -hmm. And so if they look to literature that puts real world problems in front of them and gives them real heroes and real villains, then they can start to see, well, who am I in this great literary tradition? And so I tried to write books like the older books were written so that those kids could be built up and deal with the difficulties that they'll face in this world that's much harder than what we grew up in. In, in many ways, yes. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's good you're, you're doing that. And, and I mean, in addition to all the, you know, you know, moral and virtuous reasons to do that, um, just from a marketing standpoint, I think it's great you have a, a tagline or a, a purpose stated up front. Like, like um, I've been... Trying, trying to research marketing for my own author stuff as well. And, mm-hmm. and they, they say, you know, talk about it, how, how I guess, what, what, what you want your books to accomplish and start with the why. There's a famous book called Start With Why. Um, mm-hmm. I read it, it helped me a little bit. So you already have a purpose in line for your stories and, and it's, it's not just to entertain. I mean, hopefully it is entertaining. Um, it sounds mm-hmm. like it is, but it's to, what was it again, build up your family in a crumbling world? Yep, you got it. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I think none of us would deny that our world is crumbling in many ways and we need some building up and some encouragement and some hope. So, yeah, this is we need more stories like this, honestly. We, we, we need more more people offering hope and and I guess, you know, wisdom and such to our generation and the next generation. So yep, and I wrote this for my own children and this started out as a bedtime story. Awesome. And so. I had a test audience right there in front of me. And so yeah, they were yeah. the alpha readers. They got to hear a, a new chapter as their bedtime story. And next time I wrote one, they got to hear it again. Following in Tolkien's footsteps already. Didn't he write The Hobbit for his children? Yeah. 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 He wrote it down after I believe he was starting to retell it and he got the door color wrong on the Hobbit hole. 
And uh, he oh. was corrected by his son. And he said, oh, I'm going to write this down. And so if it wouldn't have been for his son saying, actually, we may not have had that whole series. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah that's, that's funny how that works. You have, did you, did you tell me you have five children? Is that right? Yes, we have five children. Uh, yeah, the, oh yeah, the story yeah. starts off with four siblings. I don't want to give away too much here, uh, but we have a fifth sibling that we describe as plot twist. So, uh -huh. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Happens sometimes, unexpected surprises. But uh -huh. I'll come back to that in a minute because I want, because um, I'm going to ask you about, your, you know, how, how you balance time with your personal life and things like that. But um, first, I want to um, ask you, how did you get interested in fantasy in the first place? I mean, you you touched on some of your favorites, but um, any more favorite books, movies, authors, anything that you've been inspired by, especially, or that just drove you to telling this kind of story? Yeah, I I have always been a nerd from as far back as I can remember. Uh, I, like I, I, can't, I can't do it anymore, but apparently when I was a very young child, I had all of Star Wars memorized. <laughs> I watched oh, the movie Wars, so many like, times. Like, like the first movie. Yeah, so I could just go through and recite the whole thing <laughs> and so. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what I was raised on, and you know, just a lot of uh, you know, like uh, fantasy board games, card games, literature, that sort of thing. And so, it's just always been part of who I am. And so, when I've uh, gone through books, I like to go through the entire works of an author. Uh, mm -hmm. So, we've already talked about C.S. Lewis; he's been a big deal. I recently got to read a space trilogy, oh, and he gets good. into a lot of speculative theology in that, which is interesting. And I read that the same years ago. I probably should reread it, but it's good stuff. Yeah, I, um, having read all of his works, you can see what he struggles with and what he's theorizing about theology, and it works its way into that story. So you're, I enjoy that. More now, fiction and nonfiction. Yes, both of it. You can right. see that um, his nonfiction work influences deeply what he's doing in his fiction yeah, work. Yeah. I'm not sure if I read all of his nonfiction. There's just so much, but that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Andrew Peterson, who is a recent author, he's just done things in the last decade. Also, the Wingfoot Saga. Absolutely love everything that he's done. For those of us who heard his name drop that, he's he's the Wingfoot Saga. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he does some nonfiction work too. Uh, he does uh, God of the Garden, and there's another one on uh, creating artwork, and the the title's escaping me right now. Uh, but he has a, a fantastic story of starting out as a musical artist mm -hmm. and uh, eventually getting canned, they didn't renew his contract and they kind of threw him a bone of saying, well, why don't you try that fiction thing that you wanted to do? Yeah. And now 10 years later, huh. look, look at him. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard his music too. I'm, I'm familiar a little bit. That's, that's, I didn't realize what I got started, but that's, that's cool. It's, it's cool to have someone multi-talented and, and telling stories in all different ways. Mm -hmm. And I, I love the way that he brings his own story in. So in his story, there are three main gifts that his three sibling uh, protagonists have, and they've got word, form, and song. And so one of them is literary, one of them is musical, and uh, one of them is um, an artist, I guess would be the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. And you can see the way that he uses all of those different disciplines to build up into like what is virtuous, and it's used to fight an actual evil villain at the end. Cool. And so yeah. he gets into those different disciplines in a very like old school liberal arts kind of way to okay. see that these characters have been created in a certain way and they've got their own superpowers and it is them together as a family and a culture that go out to fight evil nice, and nice. it comes from this very mundane well i used to practice drawing a lot you know i was forced <laughs> to learn all of these songs i had to memorize this poetry yeah i haven't actually read a wind, wind song. I, I know of it my wife has read it I probably said before our kid gets old enough for it but yeah 
it's it's it sounds like good stuff oh okay. i can't recommend it enough it's fantastic yeah i'll, I'll get there one of these days yeah uh -huh. what are you reading these days anything interesting uh right now uh it really depends on who i'm with i, I listen to a lot of audiobooks uh, sure. you asked about being able to balance time um That's part of it yeah i don't have a whole lot of time that i get to sit down and read a physical book uh, but I am listening when I'm on my own to a book by Luther, Bondage of the Will. Um, I'm a classical educator, and so sure. I've got a couple of history classes that I'm teaching next year, and one of them has that uh, class in there, so I'm listening to Bondage of the Will by Luther. Okay. Um, that one is a, uh, it's a response to Erasmus on the matter of free will, so that one is, uh, he's got a really interesting writing style, I'm interested in the theology, and so that one's fun. Just some, you know, just, just some light reading in your free time, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't uh, really enjoy light reading. Um, so I feel like even the stuff that you might think of as light reading, like the Wingfeather Saga, has got much deeper roots. Oh, and yeah. it's from reading things like church history, where people were getting down uh, deep into those issues, that you get inspiration for characters. And so whether it's a hero or a villain, you need some sort of touch point to say, okay, well, if Luther was in a different world, you know, if he was a professor at this school, hmm. let me find the way that he would make an argument. Let me find his mannerisms. And then you take somebody based on Luther, you, you tweak him just a little bit. Obviously, yeah. You put him into that school. Okay. Yeah, so I actually have a character that is based on Luther in the book. And if you, if you read him, you'd probably know who it was. Okay. But it's also kind of based on Beatty from Fahrenheit 451, which is another must read. And I read that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And somebody who had just read it got back to me. They were one of the beta readers. And they said, This is BD, isn't it? Said, yeah, he's in there. And cool. so being able to read deeply like that really influences your characters and gives them I, depth. I always feel clever. I mean, as an, as an author or an aspiring author, when I can make those illusions and someone gets it and it's like, Yes. I mean, I mean, it's hard for me to do it subtly because I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I, I, I don't want it, to, want it to be too obvious, but I, but I also want people to get it. So uh -huh. uh, it's, it, it's a good, it's cool. cool yeah, that's one it. of the, the differences with like Tolkien and Lewis. You know, Lewis came right at you and said, the lion is God, please understand this. That's, that's true, that's true. And Tolkien, Tolkien swore up and down, it wasn't an allegory, but that's a topic for a different day. Mm -hmm. yeah. Are there any authors, I mean, and I, I know you've touched them already, but who, you, who you've consciously been influenced by or, or consciously tried to emulate in maybe your style or your just your your writing at all yeah as far as uh, style goes i read a lot of um like 1800s ish brit lit okay. and so i tried to take that style back to uh, a higher register which you don't usually see in middle grade books like you're, you're talking like jane austen like um who all in the 1800s, I think. Uh, I, so the the series that I just finished that I really, uh, it took me a while to figure out if I was going to enjoy it or not, yeah. uh, was I just read the completed works of Poe. Okay. And at the beginning, I just didn't understand what it was because he had a, he wrote in several different genres, which is really interesting when somebody can um, stretch like that. And at first, I didn't know that the hoax was a common genre in his time period. And so he would write up a, a fantastic story and publish it in the papers, kind of like a, um, a war of the world sort of thing that, you know, if you tune in in the middle, you might think this weird thing is happening when it clearly wasn't. And so uh, reading and listening to all of his stuff and seeing the range of um, styles that he employed, 
his meter, the vocabulary style, and those sorts of things. Uh, I would say that would be one of the influences. Uh, the Sherlock Holmes series, I really enjoyed that. Uh, Father Brown series was in a similar vein, so I've enjoyed listening to that. You had heroes that were renowned for their logic. And mm -hmm. same thing in Poe. Uh, Poe has these very bizarre passages where it's it's like sci-fi that Poe does sometimes. Okay. And he has, uh, instead of spaceships at the time, it, it was hot air balloons that everybody thought was the rage and they could go up to the moon. And he'll just go on forever about the mechanics on how this hot air balloon would work, which if you're not into that sort of thing, is just a, a real snooze. Which story but, is that? Uh, I forget the name of it. I've, I listened to it on audiobook. You can get the whole thing on Audible yeah. for one credit. So I, I recommend I, that. I think I have his complete work sitting on my shelf. I'm sure I haven't read everything of his, but yeah. Yeah, but the, the idea is, is that a, uh, somebody who's lived in the moon comes down in an air balloon and drops him a bottle with this account in it of what's happened. And he talks about how he made it up to the moon and back. That's really cool. Okay. Yeah. So uh, those sorts of things, um, things that are uh, logic-based in that era that we don't see anymore. Uh, you got some more pure heroes, but also in Sherlock Holmes, he's not really a pure hero. He has pure logic, but he's a heroin addict. If you get deep enough into he's Sherlock a, Holmes. A, a flawed hero at best. Yeah. But it's not in the same way that people are currently asking for literature. If you look around for agents and publishing houses now, even in middle grade, they're saying we want all these morally gray heroes and villains to where you really can't tell who's who. And that's yeah. the whole story. And there, there's a niche for that. But there if you're all raised on is that everybody is morally gray, that gives mm -hmm. children the idea like, oh, who are we to say what's right and what's wrong? Right, right, no, I could go on a spiel about that. And I, I mean, I, I have, you know, I, I enjoy different stories and literature. And I mean, I'm using the term broadly like, to include things like movies and stuff. But like, I enjoy a morally gray hero sometimes, but um, I, I, I still think it's, there's a place and there needs to be a place for right and wrong. I mean, it, it, different stories are different things, but I think we need heroes who are heroic and villains who are villainous. Mm -hmm. It sounds, sounds like you're bringing some of that back and are also being influenced by some of the early sci-fi and fantasy. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah, uh, Fantasties is one that's in there. That's a, an early fantasy one. Um, a lot of dystopian. I love dystopian novels, 1984, Animal yeah. Farm. I think I already uh, mentioned Fahrenheit 451. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Lots of good and stuff. The, uh, the last one that might be unique is Aesop's Fables. Mm. Uh, there's a mystical book in the story, and it has a bunch of these mini stories in it. And the characters don't understand it yet. This is still in the beginning of the series. And so they're starting to build and not understand quite what's going on mystically with this book yet. But okay. it's building a backstory that's even further than what the characters know about yet. Yeah. And it's kind of like a prehistory that it's doing world building that they are finding themselves in and slowly figuring out. And so I use fables within that to build that world. Okay, that's cool. For figuring out they're part of this bigger story. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. Well, thanks for, for sharing your influence. That's, I mean, I, all these things I'd love, love to talk about <laughs> much longer. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of this is right up in my alley, but that's, that's pretty, pretty cool. I do see I have a couple of people um, viewing live in the audience. So um, put your questions in the comments. We'd love to hear from you too. Um, oh, I love I'm, questions, yeah. Yeah, um, I don't see any questions yet. I'm, I'm, um, I'm encouraging them too. But um, I wanted to ask you, and we touched on, touched on this already, um, 
how do you find the time to write? When, when I've asked people this question, or, or, or I've asked some some uh, some of the other author, authors, like, what's the hardest part of writing? And I I, I guess I was looking for something about like the craft of writing, but almost everyone says finding time to write. So I mean, I know you know obviously you're you're, you're married, you're a dad, you have five kids, um, which is I imagine is a handful. I only have one so far, so mm-hmm. uh, so five seems, seems like a bit, bit seems 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 overwhelming to me. Um, you teach, you know, you you have a full time job and a life, I presume. So, how does that work for you? How how are you also a published author in the midst of all this? Uh, a big chunk of what I wrote was during the very beginning of the lockdowns, and so a lot of what I was doing at the time I just couldn't do anymore. Yeah, and so I actually had this weird thing called free time. And so I could sit down and write for an hour. Yeah, time. People, I, 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 I mean, I, I mean, even even historically, like those period periods like that have, have influenced the arts and culture a lot. But I've heard a lot of people say that that helps them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, when I when I do um, sit down to do stuff, uh, the all the different things that I read and just the way that I live in general allows me to let ideas be bouncing around inside of my head. So when I can actually sit down and get in the zone and write, it comes pretty easily. Okay. There's a lot of really hard things about it, but the actual writing is not that bad. Sure. Uh, there's a, a 40 stanza epic poem. It's one of the many stories. And that only took two hours to write. Okay. And wow. so looking back on it, I'm astounded that anybody could write that in two hours. Okay. Uh, and, and then I go back and I say, oh, I have to edit this, and this is an extremely that, big weak point. That, that, yeah, editing is, is is a different different animal. It's it's, it's a whole other thing, but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you have the have the inspiration already, and and when you sit to, sit to sit down to do it, you're focused. Mm-hmm. That's good. And it's finding that focus that's a big deal, uh, particularly for anybody who's listening uh, who's a neurodivergent writer, uh, being able to get that focus. Uh, once you can kind of hyper focus in on it, it flows. I think better than just about any other brain type can flow. Okay. Sitting down, not having distractions, you know, having your outline or whatever your creative process is and just getting it on the paper or on the screen um, is is the biggest deal. That's the struggle. Yeah, for all of us. But but yeah. I mean, wherever, you know, yeah. whatever it is that you have occupying you in your life, most of us aren't independently wealthy enough to where we're, right, 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 we're just, just writing full time yet. Uh-huh. Um, um, let's see. So you, so you just started working on this relatively recently like, like, like a couple of years ago you were writing it down i guess yeah i wrote the biggest chunk during the first couple of months of lockdown okay. in 2020 um, and then after that because there were just bedtime sized chapters mm-hmm. uh, i would sit down and just write for like half an hour a day and okay. if i got to the end of the chapter i got to the end of the chapter and if i didn't the next day i just pick up where i left off yeah and so sometimes yeah, half an hour a day it's all I can do, but I mean, it, it's consistent. Well, I mean, it's it's consistent if you, if you make it consistent, but that's good. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, and event, eventually you get there. And um, I spent the next uh, year doing editing process, uh, art acquisition. There's a lot of art in the book, uh, looking okay. around for agents and publishers. And I got to the end of that and figured out that I'm I'm definitely an independent author. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, we'll circle back to that before the end, I think. But yeah, yeah it's cool. It's, it's uh, I mean, I, a lot can happen in two years. I mean, I, mean, I know it's, it, it, yeah. it feels like it's been a long two years, but then then it, then it also feels like, oh, is that all? And and that's cool. It's, it's, you've put your time to good use and 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 made something of it. Yeah, not everyone can say that. Yeah. 
What about um, with the craft of writing or editing, like like the actual process, not just finding time, but, but like the actual process of writing and editing? What are some of your maybe one, one of your biggest struggles with with that, or what's the hardest process, hardest part of part of the process for your stories? Definitely the editing for me. Sure. Uh, I am. I'm a trained rhetorician, okay. and when you are trained to speak, it does not really matter if you know how to spell or proper punctuation or any of those sorts of things. It makes you a good storyteller. Uh, yeah. But then after you get back and you have a conversation with your editor and they say, you've started to make me question if I know what commas are supposed to do. Why, why are you doing this all the time? And I always just have to say, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I can't read or write. I, I don't know. Well, how I think speaking our, our, our different media, I'm, I'm actually... I'm 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 a little stronger on the on the writing side and 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 I think but yeah everyone has a strength or not mm -hmm. yeah okay so like how how do you overcome that do you have an editor do you have do you already just kind of self edit or or just kind of edit work through it yeah I I try to edit it as well as I can on my own so that it is less of a train wreck by the time I give it to an editor it, yeah. and I try to give it to multiple people to read over. And you know, some people will point out a plot hole. Um, some people will tell me that it's absolutely perfect and I didn't find anything wrong with it. And then I never ask those people to edit for me. Again. Yeah, I'm like, it's, it's, it's nice to hear, but you want someone who can give you some feedback too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've got uh, a good friend from undergraduate, uh, Louie Kawasaki, who did the whole thing for free. Yeah, she didn't ask anything and I'm immensely grateful to her. Uh, and you know, when, when I had something in there that she didn't like, you know, she would let me know, this is awful. You can't have this in here. This is a plot hole. This doesn't make sense. The librarian would never do that in the story. I don't care what your character is. Librarians don't do that. And so she would actively fight with me, which is invaluable. You need people to do that. No, you know, you, you do. We, we had a, a writer's group and we're, we're still semi sometimes meeting on zoom when we are able to, but we had a, an active in-person writing group a few years ago. Um, mm -hmm. We would all, I mean, we, we call it inklings because it's hopefully like yeah. the original inklings, but we would all, you know, just give each other feedback and, and constructive criticism, which, which we all need. And I mean, mm -hmm. and I mean, there's grammar editing, which is important if, if you're, if, if, you know, especially if you're maybe more used to speaking than, than writing, but there's also like story content, plot hole editing, and uh, which, mm -hmm. which you also need. So it's a whole range of things. Yeah. And even my kids helped me out on that since they were the first audience. There was uh, almost the last chapter in the book, I described a character by their hair color and eye color that, that was unique. And my eldest daughter said, we're just finding this out. <laughs> so I had to go all the way back to the beginning and slot something in there to do those descriptions. Uh, yeah, yeah. In my mind, it always looked like that, but I had never right. actually put it on the uh, page. I, I, I do that too. I'm like, I know, I know, what, they, I know what they look like, but, but yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it's funny. And what's the biggest strength of your writing or what's the one thing, well, maybe more than one thing, but at least one thing that your stories do really well? Yeah, uh, the, the best part of my stories is the little bits in there with this mystical book with all the parables that are in there. Right. Those stick in your minds, the kids, when they want to hear the story again, they'll say, oh, can we hear, you know, ribbity bibbity? We want to hear about that one. Or can we hear the princess and the dragon? And they want to go back to those. Uh, they have uh, a lot of allegorical depth in them. Uh, I've got art involved with all of them so that people can uh, color and be involved artistically in, in that as well as hearing it. And it starts to get the, the undergirding of the story in there as you read these seemingly unconnected parables. So it's, so it's like the, 
I guess the fantasy elements that you're exploring or the kind of the, the fantastical world that the, the kids are uncovering and the readers are uncovering along with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the world that the children are in looks fantastical at first. You know, they're at this magical boarding school right. where you expect it to be like Harry Potter and spells yeah. all over the place. And then they're like, surprise, and it's not actually magic. Yeah, but they, and but they try they, to do magic. Yeah, and the professors say, "Oh no, no, no! We're we're just doing this to get it on the page. You know, it doesn't have to work. Don't don't worry about making it work. Stop talking about that." But then they find this book and they see that there is real magic out there, and so they're trying to reconcile. We're at the school that says that there's magic, but nothing's happening. But in these books, there's magic. So why is it that these two things aren't connected? And then later in the book, a plague comes in, and I don't think that's uh, too much of a spoiler since it is called the plague of dradium yeah. I, was, I was wondering about that yeah yeah and yeah. so now there is something where magic is needed because of this uh existential threat to the children in the school and they have to figure out well where do we get this magic from what is this magic who does it come from are we allowed to use it if we're not allowed to use it is it worth the personal sacrifice of getting in trouble with the school yeah. so all these things well up when they have to deal with this plague so they are being drawn slowly into the world of real magic or or, or whatever it is. And you're kind of inviting the reader to, to, to discover that along with them, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Sounds, sounds good. And that's, I mean, that's what makes fantasy. That's what makes, I mean, I use this term broadly, but magic and just in the sense of fiction or just in the sense of like the, the magic of a good story, you know? It's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, you're you're doing it well, it sounds like. That's cool. Um, What's one writing or editing tip you can offer that you think most people overlook or don't know? Yeah. Here. Um, the, the way that I do it um, is that I try to find a big idea for the story first. And mm-hmm. th- this is with training and rhetoric that uh, all people that are great rhetoricians have one big idea. And in a speech, you repeat that thing over and over again. And so if it was a politician, they would say the thing America needs is, and then they would fill in the blank. Main point. Yeah. Yeah. And so he had a single effect in his stories. Yeah. mm -hmm. And so if, if you understand from the beginning that my story is about standing up for what is right, is difficult, but worth it in the end, then everything builds into that central concept. And so it doesn't matter what you're doing in your story, every little side character, every parable on the side, even the, you know, the color of the character's eyes somehow is pointing you back to that idea and it's all building it up. And so uh, you can even see this just in well-done television shows today. You talked about the different media that we watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's usually a main serious plot and then there's some comic relief over on the side, but they both have that same idea of what they're trying to build into. You know, this episode is about betrayal. And maybe the silly thing is that somebody's betrayed because you know they had their candy stolen out of the vending machine or whatever it is. Uh, but if you can have that central thing, then you can rough outline it to say, okay, this is a story about betrayal, and here are the big movements. And yeah. I'm going to have you know the the first part of this is about a trust that it's built, and it's going to be between this character and that character. And then the second one, it's questioned, and then the third one, it's ruined, and the fourth one's the resolution then you can start to get a scaffolding to say, here's the skeleton of what my story looks like. Yeah. And then the third movement is to know who your characters are. Um, all of my main characters are based off of my children. Okay. And they figured this out after they had read a couple of chapters. The characters are named by my children's middle names. 
Okay. And so at first they read about this main character, Paul, and they didn't think much of it because it's a fairly common name. And then they got to hope and they said, oh, this is us. <laughs> and so they're seeing themselves in the story. And so, you know, these characters aren't my kids, but they are based on them. Right, 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 right. And so I can ask, yeah, you know, well, what would my eldest son do in this situation? I know exactly what he would do. And then the character does that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, based off of people that, you know, based off his historical figures, celebrities, whoever it is that, you know, change it up a little bit, Obviously. unless it's just like strict fan fiction. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then once you have that skeleton, you can think, okay, well, here are these two characters. They're in this situation. What would they do? And then you just watch what happens. It's almost like you're playing a, a single player game of D and D and you've got all your characters and your villains and you just say, okay, well, what would happen in this scenario? And then you write it down. A lot of inspiration to draw from, draw from what you know. Yeah. Cool. And um, no good things. Yeah, yeah. Read good literature. Obviously, yes. I mean, I mean, you got to, you know, I'm sure most of us have, have taken in a lot of reading over the years and have taken in a lot of media in various ways. And we also know people in their real life, but I mean, we have to, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Start from the source and then we can turn, turn out, maybe turn out isn't the wrong, is the wrong word, but produce something new or at least that combines old things in new ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it's S.D. Smith who writes The Green Ember. I am uh, New Stories with an Old Soul. Okay. Yeah, that's that's his tagline, and that's a really good way to think of it. New Stories with an Old Soul. Okay. Um, do you, uh, this is kind of touching on what, what, what you were talking about. Like, are, are you a plotter or more of a seat of your pants kind of guy? Like, do you, do you know what's going to happen going into it? Do you have, you know, I mean, you, you talked about rough outlines, but then, then you talk about just your characters together and seeing what they, what they do so there's kind of a different schools of thought there yeah i'm i'm mid-ground on that one okay. i like the plot the skeleton of it yes and then watch as the rest of it develops and so i know that um i know that these kids have to get into trouble with professors right After these two di- when i before i named it uh what i did the idea for the uh, series was going to be called schools of thought Okay. And so the, the professors have one school of thought and the children were raised on a different one. And so you right. want to see what happens when these two schools of thought get together. And so I know I have to have scenes in which the students get into a fight with the professors over something. And you can figure out what that thing is and the, the specifics, but. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I say, okay, well, you know, here is this class where the professor teaches about potions and let's look back to reformation history and the fights that they had about sacraments you know what were some uh, fights that they had back then well let's take that and go sideways and see what would it look like if if this person over here got into a fight with this person over here but they were a child in the classroom you know and do those sorts of things and you can start to imagine what this classroom looks like and what the fight would be about and then you put those people in there and you just see how they would dialogue and so it, it fleshes itself out if you've got uh, a rich imagination, um, but you do have to have something on which to put the flesh. There have to be some bones there to connect all yeah, the yeah. same. I've, I've never, I, I am, I, I lean a little more toward plotting. I mean, I mean mid-ground is, is a good way to go, but um, I'm like, you know, I, I can't just let my characters run wild because there's a plot that needs to happen. And I, mm-hmm. and I you know, I, I, spoilers, I want I want the good guys to win. I, I want the plot to come, come to this, this point eventually, this controlled point. Mm-hmm. But within that, you have different play- things that can do different ways to. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, and different writers are different people. You know, oh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. You've been creating no uh, different brain types. Yeah. yeah, if it works for you, then that's good. There's no, there's no one size fits all formula. At least so there is. I haven't found it yet. So, so, uh-huh. so yeah, that's cool. Okay, 
Well, thanks for sharing your insights with us. Um, I was going to shift to talking about publishing and stuff. I still see a couple of viewers, so ask your questions before we're all over. Um, but um, you, 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 did, you did touch on your publishing process and you you kind of looked into it and decided you, I think independent publishing was best for you. So tell mm -hmm. us about your publishing process, uh, how you looked into that, how you published and what you learned, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, well, I, I started out by just researching how do you get published? And I find out that you have to have a, uh, a go-between. So an agent is really awesome. what stops all the publishing houses from sorting through slush piles of just trash. And, uh, you know, they're the ones that vouch to say, well, you know, I'm the one that's putting my time in on this. Why don't you check out this author stuff? This book at least has a chance, yeah. Yeah. And so I went looking for a whole bunch of agents. And when I was looking at agents, I just saw the kind of stuff that they were soliciting. And it was not at all what I was writing. Right. Uh, it, it was uh, the the opposite in value from what I was writing. I know, that, like you mentioned, there's a lot of morally gray stuff these yeah. days. It has a place, but I, I, yeah. I, I, I understand yeah. yeah, but some people were soliciting like romance novels geared toward eight-year-olds. <laughs> like, whoa, this is not what this yeah. is. Not my thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said, okay, well, I, I'm probably not going to do this very well. And I looked around. I found a couple of small publishers. Sure. And they, you could just go straight to those publishers. And I found two that were willing to publish my story. And I got all excited about it. Uh, but then once I started to get into the details, they're hybrid publishers. And they make their money essentially on using, getting their authors to use their services. And so you have to use their editors and their cover designers and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And so they'd be happy if your book did well. But if your book doesn't do well, the only real setback they have is their reputation's a little setback from not having a great book. But they've kind of got their, you know, five grand up front from yeah. all the, the various services you bought. They don't help you with all, all the rest of the stuff with, with marketing or promotion or anything. That's that's yeah. They help a little bit because yeah. they they do get money when your book sells since it is in their publishing yeah. house. But the amount of royalties that you get is very very small. Sounds like it. okay. Yeah, yeah, so it's kind of like traditional publishing in which you're only making like uh, let's just say four percent on yeah you know, the the profit on all of your books, but you also had to pay at the beginning to, you know, get it edited and that kind of thing. So it's really the worst of both worlds. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. And they're not doing as much uh, marketing for it because they're a small publishing company and they don't want to go all in and go bankrupt off of I some mean, yeah. blah. I mean, these, these days, a lot of, I mean, even larger publishers, a lot of, unless you're really, really big, you're, you're going to have to do some marketing on your own, which, which is fine. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a different world. And mm -hmm. um, it's, it's nice when you have some help with that. Yeah. Yeah. Being a different world is the exact phrase. Cause a lot of people will say, well, I should just be able to X, Y, and Z like they used to. Maybe but... that happened. Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, 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 I know we all have that picture. Um, I think I read, I read a book that said something like the, 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 the time when you could just mail out a manuscript and have them publish it for you. If, if, if I was ever, if that was ever true is gone. I mean, maybe, I, don't, I don't know what that actually happened in the past. Maybe it was more of a myth than we, than we think, but if that was ever true, it's not happening that way anymore. So, uh, Edgar Allan Poe actually complained about that. He wrote several stories right. that were critiques of the publishing uh, situation that was way back then, yeah. talking about sensationalism. And so he shows you how to write, you know, essentially how to sell out, how to write this sensational story that'll make it into the papers, even though it's trash. And you could just see behind the scenes, he's just really upset wow. that he put something out there that he thinks is gold, but nobody wants to touch. Yeah. 
I guess so, our frustration with, 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 with the publishing industry is nothing new then. Yeah. If, if Poe struggled with it, what, 200 years ago, then yeah. who are we to just hand in our manuscript and walk away? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So uh, did all that. And then I, I looked into Amazon publishing sure. and uh, that one, it's just, it's all up to you. You know, you upload the manuscript, you're the one that's in charge of uh, getting your advertising out there, but you get a really good return rate on your books and they do a, uh, a print on demand model. And so you don't have to say, well, I think that I'm going to be able to sell a thousand books. So go ahead and print a thousand and I'll pay for it. It just, when somebody clicks buy, their printer goes bzz, oh, yeah. bzz, 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 and then they ship you that book. And so you never have any extra books just sitting around. It's helpful. I mean, I mean, sometimes you might want extras to, to give someone, or I don't know if you want to like put them in your local library or bookstore or something, but in general, that's, that's, that's helpful. Yeah. And you can get author copies from, and that's what I did. Yeah. I got uh, 10 hardbacks and 10 paperbacks. Nice. And sometimes people want to buy directly from me and they like want an autograph and that kind of thing. Uh, I've got a couple of friends that uh, have kids. And so I wrote like a little poem and the front page for their kids well, and I sent it off to them. Yeah, that's, that's special. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's cool to have. And you get those yeah. for like essentially what it costs Amazon to print them. And yeah. then you just hit on shipping. And okay. so you can do it that way too. And if, if you want to go out to um, do like author visits at schools or libraries or book fairs or whatever, you can get a whole bunch of author copies and sell them on your own that way. But if people buy them off the Amazon store, then maybe your ranking goes up and it starts to go on some also read pages. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's a process, but it, you have options there. Yeah, um, it, it's more in your control, which is nice. That's good, yeah. I've, I've experimented with, with that a little bit. I mean, I, I put out like probably 10, 10 years ago, I put out a, a hasty NaNoWriMo novel with Amazon self-publishing or Amazon print on demand thing. And I mean, I mean, I didn't, promote it that much or anything but um uh, it could be a good, good avenue for, for the future mm -hmm. but um what was i gonna say you um I, I, I know you have an illustrator you mentioned some artwork i mean, I mean your, your, your your book's cover um has artwork too i i, I can't I don't know how to show it right now but I mean, it's, it's on the event page and it's on your website people want to look at it and, I, and you mentioned you have um you have art within so what was it like working with an illustrator and first of all how did you find an illustrator to work with Talk about that. Yeah. Um, there are, um, well, the, let me go to the very beginning of it. Sure, uh, sure. I wanted the book to be multidisciplinary and have as many things in it as I could as far as uh, artwork in addition to the story. I love it when there are beautiful full page color art pieces in books, which you don't mm -hmm. see very often. And so I want to see how much it would cost to get that printed. And if yeah. you get a print on demand book with color on the inside, it doesn't matter how many pages are full color. Like you could just have one full color illustration. They charge you as though the whole book was full color. Um, and the printing costs on that are just astronomical. Like nobody is going to go on Amazon and buy your book for a hundred dollars, you know? And so I thought, uh, why don't they color their own? And I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, wait a second. I could do that. That would, that would be something kind of novel. So it actually and, is like, like, like black and white pages with, with, with that kids can, can color. Yeah, and uh, Roseanne Portes, uh, my illustrator, does like adult style coloring books that's got oh, all the real fine detail on there. I heard you mention that earlier, and I I wasn't sure if I heard you right, and I I, I, was, I thought about coming back to it. And I was I was like, did you say did you say you can color in the book? But that, huh. that, that, that's, that's really cool. That's a, that's an awesome idea. I didn't, I didn't know that. I, I yeah, thank you. And yeah, uh, yeah. I'll I'll have a coloring book coming out soon. She's working on the cover okay. for the book, 
uh, she had uh, some equipment issues and so she's got to get back on it but uh, the coloring book will just be all the illustrations but it'll be the traditional larger coloring book size Cool. yeah okay. so as you go through and you read you know the princess and the dragon there's a picture of the dragon it's got all the fine detail and you can color it in you know colored pencils or whatever you're into yeah 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 I I kind of want to, want to get want to get that for my son. Well, I mean, he's he's not he, he he's he's only not quite two. He's not not quite able to, to color the lines yet, but he's uh -huh. he enjoys coloring. But, but yeah, that's that's, that's cool. How did you um, yeah um like did you have to like go and search for illustrators or like how did you get connected with an illustrator in the first place? Yeah, there's there's gig websites out there where yeah. there's all different kinds of things. Uh, you know, artists or tech help or something like that, so and you can connect up with people in there. So, so it's, it's not someone you knew personally necessarily. It's, it's just like you found them professionally and worked with them. Yeah, she, she cool. lives exactly on the other side of the world. Uh, yeah. She's a Filipino woman. And so they are 12 hours different from us. And so whenever I wanted to know what time it was there, I just looked at my clock and said, okay, it's 1247 p.m. here, which means it's the middle of the night over there. Okay. Okay. And so uh, we would just send stuff back and forth. And every once in a while, we would hit a, a point where it would be like, you know, seven. I said, okay, you know, seven's a decent time to get hold over here. It's morning over here. And so I would kind of wake up in the morning and see if she left a message. Okay. And I would send an excerpt of the chapter that I was working on, or occasionally the whole chapter. Uh, if it was one of the parables, I'd just send the whole parable and said, this is where the story will, or this is where the artwork will be in the story. Here's what I'm looking at conceptually. You know, I want there to be a, a dragon over here and a little girl over here and there to be a tree here. And I would draw up a dummy sketch, which is really just like stick figurey kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. I can do that. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I'd send in model pictures. And so the, the all the kids in there are my own kids. And so, you know, I just tell one of my kids, look scared and look over there. And I get a picture of them going <gasps> like that. And, you know, you send that picture along with your stick figures and that kind of thing. And, you know, a day or two would go by and she'd send me out a dummy sketch and I'd say, well, no, that's good, but I'd like the road to be a little bit more over here. And could you make that tree look more like this Dr. Seuss tree kind of thing? And we just hashed it out and back and forth until we got a final. And then I would insert in the manuscript and sign in the next one. That's, that's really cool. Do your kids enjoy being part of that too? Oh, they love that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they go to school with the book and they say, this story's yeah. about us. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really cool. That's a unique experience. Not everyone has that. Um, mm -hmm. I like to give credit where it's due. So tell us one, one more time the name of your illustrator. Uh, Roseanne Portes. Roseanne Portes, if anyone wants to look for an illustrator. So she's out there among, among others. Okay. Um, yep, she's good. She's got uh, her work online so you can find her and um, you'll probably see some of the illustrations uh, advertised from the Sanctus Chronicles on there to get a good feel for her artwork. Okay. Similar question for an editor. I know you touched on that earlier. Did you just hire an editor or did you like submit it to an editor before publishing or how did that work? Yeah, not being independently wealthy, I couldn't really afford an editor. And yeah, so yeah. it I'm, was. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, it's important, but I, I've seen, what, I've seen what, what they charge. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's not worth it. I'm just saying I, I, I don't have that money to spare just yet. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah, I, I looked at uh, what they charge uh, per word and page and that kind of thing. I thought, no, I, I can I can live with there being five typos somewhere in this novel hidden if I go the more amateur route. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I tried to do as much as I could myself. And then when I had my alpha and beta readers, I would you know send it out to them and say, I know you're not going to edit the whole book, but mm -hmm. here's my book. I'd love it if you read it. Would you just try to edit like chapter 17 for me? 
And then they would read the book and mark up chapter 17. And I would, you know, take that advice and look at it and see what I should do. Yeah, I've, I've had so I'm trying to get all those beta readers. You also I've get beta, some beta editors. I've had beta, beta readers slash beta editors give me feedback. So it's, 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 a, it's a good way to go for those of us who are not independently wealthy. You just get, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, where are your books available? Is it just on Amazon, um, Amazon print on demand? Yep, it's on Amazon right now. You can get any format. So it's uh, ebook, soft cover, hardcover, or audiobook. I did my own audiobook and got all the equipment for it. So if you'd like to hear it read the original way it was to my children, you can awesome. go on to that. I do all the voices for the characters. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure your rhetoric training helps you in that. Yep. It, it was yeah. fun. Usually I'm not doing the voice of like evil witches and that sort of thing in my rhetoric. <laughs> so that one was fun. I would be a, a, alone in the house and I would get to a character and then I would think, I wrote this character, but how do they sound? Yeah. I'd walk around the house saying, oh, what's the slope? No, that's that's just too silly. Yes, that's what he said. No, I've got a character like that already. That first one was, was, was kind of Gollum there. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, there's one that I thought that's just a little too Gilbert Godfrey. I, I don't know if I can. Not really what you're going for necessarily. Uh -huh. It's funny. Um, okay. Yeah. But Amazon print on demand. Um, go, everyone watching at home, go search for. The Saintist Chronicles, The Plague of Tradium, DP Lon Gruber, you find it there. Um, what have you done for self-promotion or engaging the audience and, or marketing? I know, I know that's a component of all this. So, um, so do you do anything interesting with that? Yeah. Anything that's worked for you so far? Uh, I've done podcasts like this. Uh, I've yes. got uh, one coming out later on the uh, Evangelical Presbyterian Church. We'll be putting that one out. I'm not sure when. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but got to do that with the uh, the stated cleric, which was great. Uh, did one for a classical education. If anybody listens to Basecamp Live, they'll have a podcast coming out. Okay. Uh, so stuff like that. Uh, advertising on Facebook, uh, TikTok, just because book talk is a thing. I'm not really a TikToker. Yes. Uh, no, I've, but, I've also dipped my feet into TikTok. I'm not, I'm not, not quite sure if I'm doing it right yet, but I'm, but I'm, I'm on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't done as much book stuff recently just because it takes more energy. I've just put a whole bunch of dad jokes up there. So hey. if you do go over to my uh, TikTok, you're going to find a bunch of dad jokes. I am all about dad jokes. So <laughs> yep. that's cool. I'm glad. I mean, I mean it, it sounds like, you know, I mean, there's people who self-publish and then they just kind of don't do anything with it. And it gets kind of sits there. But you're you're actively pursuing this and and like you're you put it out in different formats. You've, you've gotten it done with good, good quality, it sounds like. And you're you're getting on some podcasts and stuff, which is great. That's, that's the, the way to go for all of us. Yeah, it's it's still hard, even when you put in all of that work. Uh, I know. I'm, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm, I haven't even done all that yet. And I'm, I'm aware it's hard. They, they, they say it's like a, I mean, it's playing the long game. It's a, it's a long journey. And like these days, writing is like just writing the book is a big step, but it's only the first step. You I mean, then there's editing, mm -hmm. then there's marketing, and you're kind of, it's always an uphill battle, I guess. So. Yeah. Anybody who's listening that reads independent authors, um, every, everything that we want in the world is just to read your review. And so if you get to the end of the book and there's a little page on the back that says, hey, hop on Amazon and put a review up. We are dying for that review because the, the more people that review it, Amazon puts it up as a real book and it changes the way that we write our next book. If you know everybody's wanting to know more about this character, we're Fair. probably going to say, oh, well, maybe I struck a nerve there. I'd like to write more about that character now. So go, go read and review. Have you, I mean, have you had like some success so far? It seems, it seems like, like, I mean, it, like, I mean, sales wise, you're, I mean, I'm, it sounds like it's, it's not like enough to support you for life or anything or 
or quit your day job. But, but it's but it seems like you're ma- you're making headway. Would you say? Uh, at some point, I may recover the cost that I paid for the artwork. <laughs> That's <laughs> about where I am sales wise. Um, so yeah, it's a long game sort of thing. And I've got uh, I'll have to uh, hop on here and see how many reviews I've actually gotten on Amazon, so I can tell you. But uh, I, I didn't need a number. I was just curious curious to see. You know, if you're like living the dream yet, or still, still on the on the, on the climb, with, with yeah, definitely still on the climb. I think I think all of us. Are, I mean, a lot of us are there, and you know, even even when you've when you think you've arrived, it's like there's there's more. So I know that's mm-hmm. like a whole other conversation. But you're, I mean, from my uh, you know from my limited experience, it sounds like you're doing a lot of things right, headed in the right direction. So that's awesome. Yeah, I've got uh, 39 reviews on Amazon right now. That's how well I'm doing. Hey, that, I mean, to me, to me, that sounds big. 39 people have read it. Like, like I, don't, I don't think I can say 39 people have read my book. So that's really cool. Um, what What do you have in the works currently or for the future? Um, you th- I, think, I think you told me before this, you're working on book two. Yep, I'm working on book two. I've got it outlined, and that's just the rough outline. And so that's um, that's the big idea of the book. Um, I've got a couple of new characters that are being introduced, a couple of parables that are just like the vaguest of ideas right now and that sort of thing. And so as I um, find little chunks of free time and going through, it'll start to become more and more outlined and then I'll start to put pen to paper again. Mm-hmm. How many books are there going to be? Do you know? Uh, my guess is seven. Uh, okay. But since it takes roughly a year to write a book, and anybody who knows what's going to happen seven years from now is uh, an extraordinary human being, yes. uh, I I won't say exactly what's going to happen yet. But my goal is seven. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I know it's even if it's a book per year, that's still like well, I guess six more books. That's still yeah, <laughs> feels like a long time from now. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's a thing where I I, I had this as a, as a reader sometimes like. You know, when, when I was, when I started on series when I was young, when I was a kid or a teenager, but by the time the series was over, I was a grown up. Um, but I was, but I was, I was still like following the series. Like I, and I maybe wasn't the target audience anymore, but by that, by that point, I was like invested in the series. So I wanted to finish yeah. it. But yeah. That's kind of like Harry Potter for that generation that was growing up on those stories coming out. I think so. I, 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 I miss out on the experience because I, I wasn't allowed to read it. I was in that camp. Um, but my, mm-hmm. my wife grew up with it and, and I've, I've read them now as an adult. But yeah, my, my wife grew up with it and experienced Harry Potter along with everyone. So I understand mm-hmm. the significance there for a lot of people. So yeah. that's, that's cool. Hopefully you get some, some, some fans who will follow the whole series. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Well, great. Um, we're, our time is wrapping to a close, um, and, and thanks for so much for being here. Um, where can people follow you and your work online for those who who are interested and want to follow you? Obviously, your books, your books on Amazon, and you're on social media too. Yep, uh, the website is uh, www.dplimegrouper.com. L e i m g r u b e r. Right. Yep, you got it. Awesome. Uh, if you want to see any of my stuff on TikTok, mostly dad jokes, but there is book stuff on there too. Uh, you can go on TikTok and just look up DP Lime Gruber. And uh, on Facebook, look up author DP Lime Gruber. Okay. Okay. Great. So follow him or follow us or DP wherever you are. And, you know, again, support independent authors. You guys know, I mean, I think a lot of my audience, people who do listen to this, this are also on the climb themselves trying to, trying to take in writing tips and get and get, get get published and make it big or at least or at least make it one day i'm 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 on that journey too still so um 
yeah. So support your independent, independent authors. It's important. But um, yeah, awesome. Well, thank you, Dustin, for being here today and for sharing with us. Um, we appreciate it. And I, I, I really did enjoy this talk and, and just getting to chat with you about your book. And I, um, again, my, my book guy is not quite ready for it yet, but I'm, 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 but in a few years, maybe that sounds, sounds like something I should check out or awesome. and, and give to him. Um, for our, everyone watching at home, thank you. Um, like my page, Samuel and Harris, for future discussions and content for writers, or you can sign up for my mailing list at the, the link in the in the comments. It's the Clipper Maker link. When you do sign up, you'll get a free sample of my novel, Fractured Heroes, a few of my favorite scenes that I think you'll enjoy. And make sure you go check, check out Dustin's work too at the places we just mentioned, the Amazon, Facebook, and TikTok. Anything else to say for the people at home? I just really appreciate uh, you being on here. Uh, everybody who uh, is writing and putting quality stuff together, uh, it is it is worth doing uh, as you are creating beautiful things. So uh, keep doing that and uh, keep supporting the other people who are in that same boat. Uh, you talked about the Inklings earlier. There are mm -hmm. so many fantastic books that the world wouldn't have if we didn't have authors supporting each other and learning from each other. Authors both dead and living. Very true. Very true. Good admonishment for us all. So. Awesome. Thank you for watching today. Thank you, Dustin, for being here with us. And everyone have a great weekend. Thank you. Bye.